Hello and welcome to part 10 of the Miyazaki Countdown from Some Like It Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by the Countdown crew, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today on the podcast, we go from air to sea in our review of Miyazaki's 2008 aquatic adventure, Ponyo. But first, how are you guys? Doing well, Scott. Uh, to put a timeline on it, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, which feels like it snuck up on me so quickly. But, you know, getting excited for some family time to, you know, stuff myself senseless and watch NFL football. I mean, I'm really excited. Scott, do you feel similarly about the approaching festivities? Yeah, I was just thinking, I was talking with Jay about this before we all hopped on uh, together. And I was like, it feels like it, it was a long week at work. It's been a long fall like late summer fall period at work and this is like i'm taking the whole week off next week i'm here i've already traveled home so i'm with family already and yeah i'm we're doing thanksgiving celebrations a little bit early so mine's imminent mine is tomorrow as of as of time of recording and look it's exciting i like a feast i'm i'm a feaster are you a turkey yeah. person or are you like i are you excited about the turkey or are you making a chicken or what's the deal Turkey, yeah, turkey for Thanksgiving. We typically will do a ham for Christmas. Ham is more of a Christmas vibe. You're gonna eat a turkey leg like John Madden on the uh, the the classic NFL um, cliche of him eating the turkey leg every Thanksgiving. Well, he obviously he doesn't do it anymore, but yeah, yeah, he doesn't do it because he's dead. (laughs) He doesn't do it anymore because he's not with us. I mean, I wasn't gonna gonna say that part of it, but yes, that that is why. R.I.P. Obviously. Yeah. Yes, we got to get um, that out of the way first. R.I.P. to John Madden. I, I look if if the turkey leg ends up on my plate tomorrow, I will eat it. That's what I'll say. Yeah, I, I have been known to partake of the leg in the past. So um, we'll, big leg we'll guy, what, you'd say. What happens? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's time to move on and let, let's talk about this lovely film, shall we? As mentioned, our film today is 2008's Ponyo. Ponyo begins underwater, where we meet the formerly human wizard Fujimoto, voiced by Liam Neeson, and his numerous fish daughters. One day, while aboard a submarine with her father and sisters, one of those fish, Brunhilde, through a series of circumstances, finds her way to land, where she's rescued by a five-year-old boy named Sosuke, voiced by Frankie Jonas. Sosuke is instantly taken with his new fish friend and is both delighted and surprised when she slowly slowly begins changing into a human, specifically a young girl about Sosuke's age, voiced by Noah Cyrus, gaining the new name Ponyo from Sosuke. Fujimoto, afraid of the consequences of his daughter's transition, uses his magic to bring Ponyo back to him, but Ponyo, now fascinated by her changing form and her new friend, finds her way back to land once again, reuniting with Sosuke. Yet Ponyo's sudden change has triggered massive changes in the environment. The moon is falling out of orbit and a dangerous imbalance of nature now exists. Seeking to remedy this, Fujimoto seeks out Ponyo's grandmother, Ponyo's mother, Grand Mamare, voiced by Kate Blanchett, who enlightens him as to the reality of the situation. If Sosuke can pass a test, then Ponyo's wish can be fulfilled and she can remain human without destroying the balance of the universe. But if Sosuke fails, that Ponyo will be turned into sea foam. Jay, we'll start with you. Does this more child-targeted effort from Miyazaki still resonate as deeply as the Great Masters classics, or is it a pretty but empty spectacle that gets lost in the Studio Ghibli catalog? 
You're always framing these in such black and white, Scott. <laughs> and I understand why. Um, I do think, unfortunately, we are closer to the latter this week. I think, look, we need a running tally of how many of these movies I've immediately described as cute. Um, but maybe this is the week where I mean it the way Paul thought I did when we talked about Nausicaa. There's, I, I mean, yeah, from the, from, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes in, it feels pretty clear that this is going to be a more child targeted movie. You know, I don't know if that's, uh, if the animation style lends it to that, just the way the characters are interacting, um, you know, whether it's the protagonist is a, even a little bit younger than I think we've had thus far across the board. Um, but this, this does feel more like a kid's movie and that doesn't mean like, you know, it's, it's not enjoyable. I think there is just maybe a little bit less in it for someone like me. Like it was, it was, you know, I had to put a, put a lot of effort into being like, okay, imagine you're watching this through the lens of like a 10 year old or something. Um, and even then I'm not sure how it would have sit. Like, I think there's a lot of good, um, you know, I think that there's, like the voice performances are fun and, you know, we are still, we're getting a little bit of those Miyazaki themes carrying over, but again, in a much more child friendly context, um, the cliche of Liam Neeson's daughter being gone or taken, notwithstanding um, it, uh, you know, I, I ultimately, like we've, we've said this before, it's, it's hard to do bad in an hour and 40. So ultimately like was a fine enough watch. Uh, but, you know, I think one of the, the lesser, one of the less exciting ones for me at this point in the countdown. Scott, do you feel similar? I think I feel similarly in a sense for me. Look, it's not a, it's not a secret. Like I think Miyazaki's inspiration for originally starting to make this film after Howl's Moving Castle was Toshio Suzuki, who's the major producer, like the biggest producer at Studio Ghibli. Probably one. Of, I think he's one of the co-founders with Miyazaki. Told him that he should make a kids movie. So it's like it's it's one of those things where the assignment was made clear and i still think he managed to create something here that was still appealing to people of an older age but i think if <clears throat> i didn't quite find some of the things that that sort of raised the bar on so many of his other movies for me but at the same time i sort of still watch this and i recognize that this is sort of like the, is this the better version of the Little Mermaid? Like, pro like probably. Like, I don't know. It's like kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say. Obviously, once a musical, this is not really a musical. There's a couple songs, as there always are, with Miyazaki films, especially this and Totoro, um, sort of have their, have their own little jingles, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Scott's Scott's like so close to just starting to break out in the song right there after, after yeah. I just said that. It's hard not and, to. Yeah, and and I think that this is whether it's better or worse it's not really something that i'm particularly interested in talking about too much but i think that it's certainly miyazaki's version of, of something akin to the little mermaid and i found it really quite charming i think ponyo as a character and maybe this is one of the things that that jay was maybe getting to but i think because in a lot of ways i find her to be very very plain as as a sort of lead protagonist of the movie that I find it hard to get as invested in the trajectory of the, of the movie than almost all of the other Miyazaki movies I think we've watched and talked about. I think that was sort of my experience the first time watching this as well. I've only seen this one other time, quite a long time ago. And, and I think this is one of the movies that hasn't really changed that much on a second watch for me. Not that it's not good or 
or, and it's really not a, it's not a negative statement about the film. I just think so many of these films that we've talked about are such a high bar for me. And, and even as I rewatch them over and sometimes even on third or fourth watch for some of these movies, they're continuing to grow in my estimation. And I think this one is just one that I find is really cute. It's a sweet film. I think that some of the performances, uh, yeah, what, what's going on with like the child music stars in this in this movie? What's it's, up it's with the, Frankie it's Jonas and stunt, Noah Cyrus? Stunt Nepo baby casting, I think is what it is. Stunt Nepo with, baby uh, casting. With I don't know who did the, that. yeah, I don't know who did the dub for this. I mean, a lot of the ones that we've that we've watched were done by Disney or Pixar. So I could see this being done by Disney. They're just like pulling some like Disney, some like Disney kids movies stars that they're over. I'm sure Noah Cyrus did some Disney channel original probably. And Frankie Jonas was all around that sort of life with the Jonas brothers and, and whatnot. But I think it's, it's just one of those movies. I, I will say one thing that really did stand out in the film for me, and maybe I'm a broken record just saying this, but I still think that Joe Hisaishi score is just sort of incredible. I mean, it's just like kind of always just, incredible and i think in this in this film in particular when i felt like maybe there were even fewer distractions for what less dialogue was, just in general yeah. certainly i mean yeah there's long that's a really great point there's such long sequences that are really taking full advantage of the visual medium i would say and that brings me to another point when you pair the score of hisaishi there with i think what is a, a slightly different approach to animation here um, at least in a sense, like in the past couple films, there has been computer generated imagery. I, I, something that we sort of alluded to a little bit, not talked about extensively, but like I'm pretty sure the castle and Hell's Moving Castle is is not all hand drawn. Like some of that is computer animated. There's some elements of, I believe, Princess Mononoke as well. And I'm not sure about Spirited Away. I think there might be some parts. Again, there's like these little small parts, small parts that are not hand drawn. I think this film reverts back to like being completely hand drawn. And I think it's one of those moments where you, I think we started, I started to, to feel it or see it a little bit in Howl's Moving Castle. I think I really start to feel it here in Ponyo, where there really is a sort of level up in the way that they're animating some of these hand-drawn cell, like cells and pieces. And I think you sort of see it. And it's a beautiful film. It's a really gorgeous sound uh, score and soundtrack. I think there's some really, if we really talk about like frame this as a kid's movie, I think there's like some really touching themes for kids around accepting people for who and what they are regardless of of where they end up. I think there's some touching themes around around parents and family accepting children for what they want to be and who they are. And I think that that there's some real empathy layered on to the Lisa character specifically, who's just so, you sort of have the juxtaposition of Liam Neeson's, I always forget his character's name, is Fujimoto. Fujimoto, yeah. Fujimoto versus Lisa as parents. And then of course, like Sasuke as a kid. Um, who is is sort of i think kind in some ways trying to challenge this notion of like the the innocent pure childlike protagonist and like can you corrupt like can you corrupt that a little bit and i think that there's like a, a more like platonic way of that happening or a very like a uh, plain way of that happening when you have fujimoto i know this is towards the end of the film but when fujimoto is like talking to him and trying to just convince him to just like you know drop this let it go and uh, there's like there there's once again like an innocence and and um and purity in that and I think that as maybe unnuanced as that can feel sometimes I think if you're aiming to make a kids movie out of this I think there's like a lot of really rich detail to mine there for you know showing your four or five year old 
one of their first movies, like one of their first feature length movies. So I think that that it's really sweet in that in that sense. It's never going to be one of my favorite Miyazaki's personally, but that again, I don't really I don't really say that as a negative statement uh, about the film. I, I really did ultimately still enjoy the time I spent with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, this obviously, and we've all said it now, but this obviously is his most child-targeted film probably that we've talked about up there with Totoro at least. Um, and yeah, this movie is well, Totoro actually, was like so specifically about his like the relationship he had with yeah. his was it I can't remember if it was his niece or if his granddaughter. I can't remember what it is. And this is just like more like this feels so much more. It's less tar it feels less targeted. It's more generic. Yeah. It, in spite of that, this movie is kind of an acid trip. Like the first image or well i don't know if it's exactly the first image but we you know see liam neeson's fujimoto like very early on like one of the first shots of the movie and his appearance first of all just like is very kooky and then when he opens his mouth and you hear that it's liam neeson which i did not realize uh, because i have not i had not seen this one before um i was like okay we're gonna get weird uh so let's let's just do it let's get weird and yeah this movie um it coasts on on the imagery a lot, especially during the beginning stretch of the film when you know Ponyo is escaping to land. And, but yeah, like the tsunami sequence is you know stunning visually to to look at. I think it, you know we maybe we've taken the visuals for granted a little bit in the other films just because we've talked more about the characters and the story um, in our our past podcasts. But um, the visuals really, I mean, they they're always gorgeous in these movies and they really stood out to me in this one I think because um it, it is driven this the, the momentum of the film is driven by the visuals in a lot of um places um I think you know one of the common critiques of this movie at least that I was seeing is that Ponyo is annoying um in the dub um I, I mean you know Ponyo is a what four or five year old kid so like I, I am allowing some forgiveness there um I am also acknowledging the critique, you know, in in another regard. So I do think that's one thing that maybe detracts from the movie, at least for an adult. I mean, a kid, you know, like we're saying, a kid's going to watch that and they're going to say it's a kid just like them. So um, it's probably not going to be too annoying for them. But um, I think just I don't know whether it was the voice performance. I mean, maybe that had a lot lot to do with it, or just kind of the simplistic dialogue that Ponyo has as a human um you know that that was a little grating at various times in the movie i guess um the other thing is i think the the ending is kind of anticlimactic like the the test that gets set up well we could talk about about it in more detail but i i was like okay that's that's it kind of when the when the test part of it all was resolved and again part of that probably comes from it being a children's film like it's not going to be some you know huge complicated conflict probably at the end of the movie but it just did you want like... grandma mare to grow to this massive demon-sized creature and then and then yeah. ponyo and sasuke have to fight her um and, and gore her with the with the, the ship to kill her um not that exactly but um you know okay. that it been cool. Uh, that was, uh, you know. Well, Scott, I have good news for you. There's a film called The Little Mermaid. So, oh, I guess that I guess that's true. Yeah, I tried to block <laughs> that out after watching the the live action um, remake, obviously this year. But um, yeah, it is reminiscent of Little Mermaid. I, I mean, that's that's kind of obvious to anybody who's seen both both films. But I mean, I enjoy Miyazaki's take on it. He obviously does bring something different. Um, 
the voice cast is kind of all over the place for me. Like Matt Damon, like what, what was I mean, he doing in here? I mean, that's he, hilarious. Start casting right there. That's really, he, funny. he was in like one or two scenes, maybe. Of them. I mean, which is to be fair, that is a very Matt Damon thing to do to just show up and be in one scene of the movie. But I thought it, it's just really funny. Cause like, there's like a brief moment in the middle of the movie where you think it's like, the movie's going to suddenly be about these people's like divorce or something that's happening because Matt Damon is like out on the the boat or whatever he's working and uh, and the mom just wants him to come home and he's like oh no I got to be out here a little bit longer or whatever and they do the the he he does like the what is it? I mean he uses like a light or something to send a message to them um, Morse code but, yeah he's using Morse code yeah he's using Morse code um, but. Yeah, like it's it's such a brief little interlude in the movie. Like again, it, I say this movie's an acid trip, but just like looking back at the end of the movie after, after the movie was over, I was like, it was weird that that was in this movie. Like just that little section, just you know, doesn't feel like it has a whole lot to do with the rest of the movie. And then you have Matt Damon just not sounding very comfortable at all, like in his voice performance. Um, so maybe it, it's good that there wasn't more of him, but I just thought it was very random. I mean, Kate Blanchett, obviously, voicing Grandma Mari, and she doesn't really have a whole lot to do either until the end of the movie. But It's funny because um, she's like one of the top bills in the movie, and I'm like, oh, Kate Blanchett's going to be the mom or something yeah. like that. I'm like, that's pretty cool. And no, she's actually just doing the exact same performance as all of, she does in Lord of the Rings. Like, she's just... <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Yeah. She's just Galadriel. She's basically just doing the Galadriel bit. Mm-hmm. Just cool. It works. But yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it's enjoyable. Like, I wanted to see where the movie went. You know, you mentioned Scott and has some ideas about sort of um, accepting your, your kids for who they are. And, um, you know, I didn't even really think about it, but I was... Um, I was I was typing that uh, script and I used the word transition, which obviously is kind of a, a loaded word nowadays, but it did make me think a little bit more about, um, you know, the the ideas and the themes of the movie and, you know, how it could possibly if you're if you're looking for sort of a modern, you know, read on it, um, there could be something there um, just in terms of a, a child who's sort of changing their physical form um, and Fujimoto obviously being the character who has to learn to accept that, but um and does accept that over the course of the movie. So um it's it's a heartwarming little film in the end, I guess. And um yeah, the visual Yeah, and, and I think that's that's that's, that's why almost in a way that there's not very much to the climax of the movie is that to your and you were saying this earlier, but it's not the pitch of the the pitch of the film is that like we sh- like, you know, you should love people for who they are. And fighting for that just looks like claim like saying and doing the work you know like i love you for who you are and i'm going sure, to do that yeah. like that's in many ways i think it's it, it it sort of breaks our brain on how we think about those kinds of movies probably but in a lot of ways it's like actually probably more true to life where the way that you do that is you say it and then you do the, like you show it you do the work yeah and also the fact that it's a child i think kind of highlights it's like this is an uncomplicated concept idea that we're sort of asking for mm-hmm. like like you say it's just to love somebody no matter what form you know they are in and to a child it just makes sense like he, it's very easy for him to just say yes of course i will love any ponyo i will love any form of ponyo um and so he's trying to say something there about you know why as adults or or whatever do we overly complicate this with um 
whatever factors that are, are influencing us. But um, I think I think that, you know, is at least a plausible interpretation that helps me maybe get past a little bit. The like my, my main concern complaint, which is like the simplicity of it's like now here's the test. Like in order to pass the test, you have to love Ponyo, you know, and, and no matter whatever form she's in. Uh, you know that Ponyo is a fish. Do you do you love her as she is? And he's just like, oh yeah, no problem. Like, sure, of course I do. And then it's like they bring Ponyo out, and it's like Ponyo, you know, you understand now that you're not going to have your magic anymore, right? Like you're you're just going to be a human now. And she's like, cool with me, <laughs> you know. And that's just kind of how the movie wraps up. But um, you know, it's a nice yeah. Movie. Unfortunately, they actually they they canceled the sequel where. They yeah. start to get into a fight, and he doesn't love her anymore, and she turns into sea foam. That's the really sad part. Yeah, you know, Scott Sheldon, yeah. I gotta say though, your read on it is actually making me like a little more positive on it because yes, it maybe is just like show up, do the work, yeah. and like like what well, that's actually kind of it's actually kind of sweet. I mean, it's a little refreshing. Yeah, yeah, I guess I, mean, that's I, what I wasn't sitting there worried. thinking like this is too simple, but I was sitting there thinking like year five, like. You might hate this person, like you know, in a week when they like eat the last peanut butter cup, kind of thing. When, when they say something other than like "Sosuke," you know, over and over again, with actually yeah. some other you know things to say. But when yeah, when they finally learn English or Japanese or however you want to frame <laughs> the language they're learning, yeah. You know, I was speaking of a sequel, Scott Sheldon. Maybe you know this because I'm just coming across this now while reading about this. But apparently, Miyazaki wanted his next movie after this to be a sequel to this, and one of the Ghibli producers told him absolutely not. Thank God. Yeah. Can you speak to this I mean, or not? I mean, th there's also been several movies that he's wanted. Like he's wanted to make a Porco Rosso sequel as well. He's talked about wanting to make a Porco Rosso sequel before. So you know, let's stick with the original films. That's that's what I'll say for me is like let's stick to new concepts. Let's keep going. I mean he's he's batting a thousand. Like there's there's no reason not to yeah. move on to new concepts. Like, like I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, Jay, but that that doesn't change. <laughs> so I'm I'm not this surprised. Very different yeah. from this one, but I'm, um, I'm not surprised. Yeah. But let's let's talk a little bit more in more detail about the characters. Um, you know, particularly our main characters here, Ponyo and Sosuke. They are both kids so we're returning to child protagonists young protagonists after obviously a little bit of a deviation with Howl's Moving Castle the protagonist being an old woman um you know and and actually these kids are maybe even younger than most of the protagonists that we've seen so far in these movies and as we've mentioned voiced by Noah Cyrus Frankie Jonas you know what did you think about these characters you know being the the anchor for the action and you know, sort of their relationship together, because as we've mentioned, their relationship is kind of what resolves the the conflict. What what conflict there is at the end of the movie, um, Scott? Yeah, I talked a little bit about it already. I think I think for me, th this film, the relationship between the two characters, it's sweet. Like it's a sweet relationship. I think it's sort of there is this innocence in both these characters, but I think especially with Sasuke is who's like the, the human character, right? Like the, the, the human protagonist, so to speak. And he clearly has sort of a, a, a genteel nature. Like he's very kind. He spends times with these older women in, I don't know if it's a nursing home or something equivalent to that, that his mom works at after school. Like he has this very kind nature and you see how he, interacts with and and treats Ponyo 
uh, Brunilda when when he finds her for the first time. I think it's maybe interesting to sort of juxtapose how his interactions are with someone like Ponyo or Brunhilda with the way he interacts with some of his fellow students at the school, which is very fleeting. You don't get too much of that. I think it's like, is it like Kumiko? And and I can't remember the other one. There's like a couple of the small children that he are his classmates at school. And I think that like, he's just very much the kind of kid who's minding his own business, who's nice to everyone, maybe isn't always making everyone happy because maybe he's just a little bit too, I don't know, aloof in some respects to do that. But He's no think... simp, Scott. <laughs> he's not. <laughs> yeah. He's no simp. He's not. Yeah, uh, not until point. we get to Ponyo, at least. But yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for yeah. the other girls in his class who are all like trying to talk to him and whatnot, he's just like trying to chat him up, trying to put the riz on. <laughs> yeah, trying to riz up baby Gronk. Um, and yeah, of course, uh, uh, Sasuke being baby Gronk in this case, of course. Um, anyway, I think that he, I think that his nature is. And then you you sort of shift at how he's how his relationship begins to develop with Ponyo. I think it it's it feels very natural. Like it feels very natural that he would gravitate towards this new and sort of in many ways like kind of alien or foreign type person or creature, but in a really childlike mindset where he he's not thinking about things like, oh, this person is different than me and therefore bad, or like, or you know what I mean? Like there's like, oh, this thing is just new and interesting and yeah. seems like it has been abandoned or alone and, and we should take care of them. And obviously that's like a very sweet nature. But I do think the the reality of them being so young and the conflicts, um, like uh, the emotional uh, themes and the conflicts not being more like at a higher scale or a higher pitch, I think ultimately what that means is that I didn't connect with with these two characters as much personally or didn't get as invested. That doesn't mean compared to other Miyazaki movies. And that doesn't mean, again, that I wasn't still rooting for this whole thing to work out. But I'm not going to sit here and say either that I'm like, I was like super, super, super invested in Ponyo becoming human. And I don't put too much blame at any of the performances feet. I didn't, I mean, Ponyo, I was, I was sort of like you, Scott, I didn't really find Ponyo to be any more or less annoying than I expect the average four or five-year-old to be. It just seemed like, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to hang out with this kid most of the time, most of the time. But that's that's probably a good thing that I wouldn't want that. Um, I mean, yeah, that would be <laughs> probably viewed as as odd. Yeah, sure. So it, 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 the performances were good, but again, I think like I was saying earlier on, not what I would gravitate towards in Miyazaki movies. Yeah, and you know, I think on your point about Sosuke just being a sort of you know kind, compassionate child i think we do see that maybe that's his mother's influence you know yeah rubbing off on him 100 because 100%. she is the one who's involved with his nursing home as you've, you've mentioned and you know when a tsunami hits literally tsunami hits and you know decimates everything and she's like we got to go check on the old people right so she she leaves and goes to check on them um which obviously is is a very selfless which is obviously done for her to have done. I mean, I mean look, yes, she left also. a five-year-old alone with, you know, <laughs> oh, he had his a, fish. a magical fish. It's okay. fish. It's a fish. Yeah. 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 It's okay. They, they, they would find their way back. I got to say, I really enjoyed, like, the last, you know, 30 minutes, like, you know, maybe before we get to that, like, test. But when they're, like, in the the boat and, like, just sailing around, it's like freaking they're doing where the little sing or something. Yeah, It's like yeah. a little Mark Twain segment of the movie, you know, we're just like, going around in our riverboat. 
uh, they they see the soldiers or whoever they are. And, um, they're well, like, see the, yeah. the mother and father and the, like, the little kid. Yeah. And there's the mm -hmm. whole thing about like this baby can't drink the soup. She only drinks milk. Yeah. yeah. And so, that scene was so and pa funny. Ponyo, Ponyo <laughs> very, doing something very weird to heal this baby's flu. Like I really had no idea what happened <laughs> in that. Yeah. In that um, and I didn't want to look too far into it. But um, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that scene to me becomes so funny if you read it from the perspective of the mom just really wants to eat the sandwich. So she's trying to convince Ponyo, like, give it to me. Like, you know, and I'll be able to make milk for this child. But like, you should give it to me kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like, oh, she's already eating soup, all the, the ham soup, out of the yeah. sandwiches, of course. Um, um, it's for the milk. Yeah. She's going to start yeah. going around saying um, that it's for milk. But that part of the movie was fun, um, for sure. But yes, I think that the that you see you know, maybe Miyazaki is saying, hey, parents, like, you need to be setting a good example for your kids because they're going to reflect your, you know, intrinsic values. And if that is being kind and compassionate, then, you know, you're going to end up with a kind, compassionate kid like Sosuke. So, yeah, it not... feels like a real combo of, like, yeah. Lisa, like you were saying, Lisa sort of, like, modeling those good, those good behaviors, those good sort of traits in a parent to their kids. And then also the juxtaposition with um, Fujimoto learning that he needs to accept Ponyo uh, or Brumilda for who she is. And I think that's like sort of the one-two punch of parenting in this movie, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Jay, any other thoughts on the, the characters, their relationship? I mean, I think for the main character, Scott Shelton pretty much covered it. And like we've all, I think, said to some extent, there is a certain simplicity to them that makes it harder to relate. But yeah, you know, but I also think... just makes it work so simple, like beautifully. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just, it's too. just yeah. a, it's a pretty thing to watch. I want to talk about Lisa, guys, because like we're 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 sitting here just like heaping praise on her. Like I think the first fifteen to twenty minutes, there were a lot of questionable parenting decisions made. You know, I think until Ponyo actually shows up, they're like, yes, you know, she works in a nursing home. We have some moments of her being like kind of, you know, sweet towards Sasuke, you know, while he's like waiting for his yeah dad. And, you know, she's like, you know, waking herself up to be like, okay, you're so good. You're so sweet. But she also like, you know, like nearly drives him off a cliff trying to like lick his ice cream. And, you know, like there's a tsunami happening. The instructions are like, you should go back. And she's like, no, I'm fine. She tries to like, you know, out drive this tsunami. Like, I think I think from the moment Ponyo shows up and her, you know, I don't know if it's her instincts or what kick in, and she's like, you know, okay, I'm gonna look after this random girl that may or may not have been this fish that my son brought home, and I'm gonna be very sweet towards them both, like a plus job. I think before that though, are, are we not? Am I the only one that's like, <laughs> there's just like, what are you doing? Um, I, when you say before Ponyo shows up, I'm a little confused because sorry, I'm but before sure she shows even... up as a human girl, like at the end of the tsunami um i gotcha okay sorry yes like but, but before like you know when she is again like you know she's being told like you shouldn't go home and she like drives through you know th like this honestly like, the, the guys, water i hate to admit through. this that scene reminded me a lot of aquaman i, I don't even know you, what you remember scenes from that's what i'm aquaman. saying yeah like, i don't know what you're referring to <laughs> the, well there's like a massive storm like hurricane that's hitting the coast the coastal oh, town sure, or whatever sure and they're driving along the coast in this car and it's like it's jason momoa and amber heard i'm pretty sure like in in a truck i don't know it doesn't matter 
we can move was, on. I yeah, hate this already. It definitely doesn't matter. I, I did not uh, think of that. I can I can promise you that, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think Lisa like a, a plus parent for the last hour, hour and ten of the movie, but I see that I disagree. The fact that she left them at home by themselves, <laughs> that's crazy. That's the craziest thing she did for parenting for me. Also, yeah, her it's... driving very scary. That's not good. Someone <laughs> someone needs to like get her to chill. Um, so we're on the topic of parents, so we might should talk about the other major parent figure in this movie, which is Fujimoto, voiced by Liam Neeson, who is, of course, the father of Ponyo and all of these other fish. Um, he was a formerly human wizard who is is now living underwater and um, doesn't really, at first, embrace his daughter's wishes to be a human, but uh, mainly because of the effect that this is having on the universe right it's throwing everything out of balance um seems like a reasonable thing to be concerned about maybe but um you know ultimately he has to learn to come around to his daughter's wishes his daughter's changing nature and embrace that what did you guys think about um this character and his portrayal i mean i think i really enjoy liam neeson his voice performance and honestly his voice performance in any uh animated movie i just think there's something so like serious, like he has so much gravitas in that voice or whatever. So to see him playing this like patently ridiculous character and this just kind of silly kids movie was like just just really, really funny to see. But I, I don't know. What did you guys think about the arc of this character if there is one, Jay? I mean, I'll plus one you on the voice again. I we talked, I think, a little bit during Howls about you know whether we find some people's voices distracting. Um, and I'm not gonna say I found it distracting, but it was very much like, man, that's Liam Neeson, and like, oh wow, his daughter. I'll say is I like, found oh. it more distracting in this movie than than anything we've talked about so far, probably. Sure, um, it's funny because actually I feel my thoughts on these characters like evolving a little bit, just like as a result of that early bit, Scott. You said about you know, it's really just a story about like accepting people for who they are and loving them no matter what, and I'm like. You know, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, this is this is maybe a patently ridiculous character, but if you you know view it through the lens of, ultimately, he learns to accept his daughter, and you know, accept this other boy who like is going to unconditionally love his daughter, like no matter what. It's like, okay, well then I'm good. Like, what a what a nice read on being a parent, right? Like, my you know, my kid is my, who they are, and they found someone who loves them, and thus I'm on board. Like, if if you look at it through that lens, that there is a certain sweetness to it um yeah even though it's a lesson he has to learn right because he's fighting so hard through the first hour and a half of this movie and then the last 10 minutes he sure and not to say that you know this is necessarily like you know an amazing story of this happening like in that particular acceptance piece like again it is a kid's movie there doesn't have to be some like major falling out or other like tumultuous journey to get there but you know it's it's a nice place from like where we start to where we end um you know immediately like again you know he's like oh humans are gross and all they do is pollute the water and i'm sitting there like all right like you know there's our like a little bit of miyazaki like hey we're we're bad to the environment we know i you maybe you were about to say it's like immediately you know not long after his first little spiel on that like he ends up you know like through a series of accidents, I guess, like, you know, Ponyo ends up in that room with the thing where like, you know, whatever that elixir is that no one's supposed to end up in causing yeah. like all the, the madness we end up with. Yeah. I mean, causing all the imbalance, right? Like the fact, the fact that he couldn't, 
do his job or if that's even his, I don't know if that's the right way to frame it, but the fact that he couldn't do his responsibility to ensure that the balance could be maintained. It's, it's the fact that he was loose in his, in his responsibilities that the imbalance grew so much. I, I was actually going to go a different direction and say, it's an, yes, there, of course it's impossible. I think, especially in the context of this, of this mini series, as much as we talked about it, to not think about the environmental element and the water pollution, the ocean pollution that, that does come up in the early parts of the movie. But I think it's really interesting that this film chooses to portray to the extent that this film has good guys and bad guys, Fujimoto, the person who's like railing against like the water pollution as like the bad guy in the movie, so to speak. And I think that that is like an interesting nuance. I, this film is, is very front and center saying balance is what's important. Obviously that means you have to respect nature. You have to, take care of the ocean, take care of the water. I don't think Miyazaki's coming out with some like weird new take on what he thinks about environmentalism on that front. But I do think it's interesting to be recasting again, almost, almost a hearkening back to Mononoke in my, in my, at least from my perspective, this notion that it's not about all one or, or all the other. It's really about the balance of things. I don't think pollution falls into that balance personally. That, that'd be my read of it. But again, it's not all we have to preserve the environment at all costs. We have to do X, Y, Z things at all costs. It's about finding that balance. And both the ocean and the land, right, is an important part of that. So it, yeah, I mean, there's an, actually, interesting, an interesting tweak. Yeah, there's actually nuance to the character, I think, maybe is, is what you're saying. And, I, you know, even yeah, though, sure. he, yes, he is the, the bad guy. I mean, I, I like that it's not really... You know his his motivations and stuff aren't really black and white. It's not like I just don't want my daughter to change because I am, you know, a bigot or whatever, for lack of a better word. It's well, more, like you know. Is. Well, I yeah, I guess that's true. But he has his reasons. Yeah. You know, he does have his reasons, and um, you know, he he is like he's just kind of confused more than he is like menacing. I guess is is how I look at it, but. Um, I think he start he starts off at a place where it's like this can't be happening. I have to stop this at all costs. And then I think it turns into some confusion as Ponyo or Brumelda, from his perspective, herself is like, no, I want to be this thing. And that's where like the confusion begins to to be stirred up and and starts the sort of evolution of his character as being one who's like, I I don't like this. I don't understand it. And I but I guess I'm going to accept it by the end of it. Is like kind of the trajectory, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's you know as much as as much nuance as there can be in a kids movie, I guess you know there is a little bit here yeah. in the the look. We haven't talked about the other parent, which is Grandma Murray, which is sure. uh, really probably the worst parent of all. Talk about talk about absentee parent. Yeah, what is she doing exactly? I mean, she's like a god, right? Like she's like yeah. she's a goddess of mercy. That that's what that's what Matt Damon's what Koichi calls her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she's she's definitely an absent parent um, until Fujimoto, you know, sort of Some meets her to figure this out. Yeah. And, you know, again, he he yes, he doesn't want Ponyo to change. But, you know, part of his reasoning is he's he's concerned about the outcome of this test. Right. He's concerned about his daughter and he's concerned that, you know, if this kid, Sosuke, who he doesn't really know, you know, can't pass the test then that's it. His daughter is, is Seafoam now. And so, you know, he does care about Ponyo. Um, yeah, like he, he, I mean, the notion, I mean, like, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I imagine with all parents, like you think that you know best, what's best for your kid. Yeah. And you have to learn 
that maybe you're not always a hundred percent right and you need to allow your your children to take risks to grow to evolve to develop and you know become to become ponyo right to for bermilda to become ponyo you have to allow risks to be taken yeah um let's spend just another moment we talked about you know the characters and story and a little um bit of detail there but the visuals in this movie they they do drive uh, so much of the action, you know, again, the, the beginning is a long sort of almost dialogue-free sequence um, of Ponyo coming to land. And then we have the tsunami scene, which also has, you know, just a lot of lo- a lot of visuals, uh, for lack of a better description. But, you know, were you guys as taken with them as in other movies? Did they stand out to you more? Thoughts, Scott? Yeah, I think I, I I spoke a little bit about this at the beginning. I found, I really did find a lot of the visuals to be a sort of continuous upgrade. I think I've been talking a little bit about that over the last couple movies, like really feeling like the visuals are starting to evolve it gradually and more and more, maybe since even Porco Rosso and Princess Mononoke. And I think that this is sort of the next big step up. I it, Watching all the films in this order, I'll be very curious about the wind rises. I know how I feel having seen the boy and the heron uh, a couple months ago now, or a month, yeah, about a, you know a month and a half ago, and I'm curious to see how that sort of trajectory continues. And I'm sure that's something that we're going to talk about. But the visuals here, you were saying it in your in your piece earlier, Scott. Like the visuals are pretty pretty visually stunning, visually arresting for hand drawn animation. It feels, I mean, it feels to me like there's some changes. I don't want to say techniques because I don't think I'm knowledgeable enough about art, but I found a lot of in some respects, I found a lot of the human, uh, especially Ponyo, to be very plain in how it's drawn. Like not, not very, um, like not a ton of detail. But I found so much detail in the other elements of the film, which I thought was something was like a really interesting choice, and I think sort of helps tie in the, the notion of Ponyo being this fish evolving into you know, a chicken <laughs> into a human. I don't know what was a bird. I'm not even sure what was going on there. Um, and slowly gaining more and more features and detail uh, and almost starting to really fit in with like the, the world around her on land. And I thought that that was like a really nice decision or technique to use and helping Ponyo's story actually develop on the screen visually, since I do think that the, there is such a visual element to this movie, given the lack of dialogue and the long stretches of the film. So I thought that worked really well. And yeah, I, I did think that somehow, some way, the hand-drawn animation continues to look better and better in every movie. And I think it's true for the, for Ponyo. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Another image that's really cool is when like the moon and stars or everything are just like falling uh, out of the sky. Na- nature's out of balance, man. We're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. What if there was a moon fall? Uh, Guys, a, a movie involving a, a chicken protagonist where the sky is falling? Anyone? Boo. <laughs> I was going to go Moonfall. Let's get rolling. Yeah, I was going to say, here. Scott raises a good point. This is definitely the best movie involving a Moonfall. I mean, I was going for Jay, Chicken any... Little here, but... No, we know what you were no, going for. We know <laughs> what you were going for. We just yeah, were worry. rushing over that. But <laughs> Jay, any other thoughts on the uh, how this movie looks? I mean, I think... I think I agree that maybe the characters are a little bit uh, more simple than we've seen, but I think Scott raises a good point as to like how it helps tell the story. Like as Ponyo gains more features, um, 
you know, if we want to continue this theme of like loving and accepting your kids and the ones you love is like a simple thing, like keeping the people simple while, you know, the rest of the world has all this extra detail, nuance and whatnot, like maybe add something to it. I think it's, you know, maybe something a little more simple. It's just like, it's kid friendly. Um, and, you know, it doesn't quite have the attention to detail on like the, the characters themselves that I imagine when I think of like Mononoke, for example. But, you know, I think for what this movie is, still works pretty well. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess the the only other thing, if we want to talk about it anymore, is the the ending of the movie. We kind of sort of got into it in the general impressions about the final test and, um, you know, Sosuke easily passing the test, Ponyo becoming human. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts about how the movie wraps up? Um, uh, you know, again, I think, I think we kind of maybe got to the bottom of it in terms of, you know, why it, it seems so easy for, for them because they're kids and, um, we can maybe learn something from, you know, children and their, you know, simplistic, I guess is, is one way to put it, but just like sort of pure outlook on the world and on morality. Um, I think that's a, a message that is going through not just this film, obviously, but um, other films, Spirited Away certainly comes to mind um, when thinking about that that idea. But any other thoughts like on half, how It's like half his movies, up? right? It's not just Spirited I mean, yeah. Away. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you well, know, again... No, no, no. I, sorry, I, I thought Jay was going to say Oh, more. go ahead. I, yeah. I can say more stuff. Yeah. No, I, I again, like, I think... I think one of the fascinating pieces about all of Miyazaki's movies, especially with their more, especially the ones with more childlike protagonists, and even and even of those, the ones who that are like truly innocent children, like even Nausicaa, there's an, I mean, there is an innocence about her, but she is thrust into such a position where, yes, there of course is childlike spirit and energy about her, but really she's being pushed into being an adult earlier than maybe she should be, and that's just a function of the film. But when you're thinking about movies, I think of Totoro, this movie with Ponyo, uh, Spirit. I think Spirited Away is is one example as well. I think those are the kind of movies where I think you see, um, and it's important to be reminded that we can learn and take away a lot from children. Not that we all should act all the time like Sasuke or um, Satsuki in, in Totoro or May or Ponyo. But these are characters that have traits that are good and we can learn from and can use. And I think it's always it's important to not be dismissive, I think, of those types of traits. Again, not that it'd be realistic for you, Jay, to go to work and act like Sasuke. Right. But I think the level of compassion that these characters demonstrate is something that we can and should work into the way we interact with others and using that in the right way. So I, I think I, I, I hate, I always hesitate to be too dismissive of like these childlike protagonists being sort of like un, unrealistic or representations of a, a, adults and what can we really learn from them or take away from them when there's all these different elements. And I mean, my answer is always, there are traits that you should think about and reflect on and, and what are the best ways to integrate them into your own life at least that's how i think about it like i'd love to be a, you know a, a little bit more compassionate a little bit more empathetic right I'd, I'd i'd really like to be all those things and i aspire to be and sometimes i'm more successful than others 
but of course I'm not going to be that way all the time. And and so I always think it's a balance. And I think Ponyo is like another return to that, right? I think it's another return to the, to, to the sort of spirit that I think is representative in so many of Miyazaki's movies about that quality, those qualities specifically. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons that these movies have mostly protagonists because, um, you know, he wants us to learn a lot from them, I think. All right. Well, I think we can probably move on to wrap up this film. Jay, your favorite scene or moment from Ponyo. I think there are a few just like really silly lines in this one. Uh, I guess the one that I'll call out is I think it, it happened somewhat early in the movie when uh, Sosuke is talking to the older women at the senior center or whatever it is. And he's talking about how um, Ponyo healed his cut by like licking it. Uh, and one of the old ladies goes, I'd let a fish lick me if it'd get me out of this chair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, yes. Like, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to know what Liberty was taking in that localization. That's what I'll say. Right. Well, that that definitely have... feels like one of those. Like, what was the original line? Um, and we have to mention that the old ladies are like Lily Tomlin, Betty White. Betty White. White? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. Yes. What a, again, just random casting. But yeah, just the, the, there are a lot of like just funny one liners. Um, that's one that jumps out to me. Scott, your favorite scene or moment? Yeah, you talked about some of some of the scenes where there weren't there wasn't any dialogue. And there's there's a scene about midway through the movie. There's obviously a really long one early on at the very beginning, which honestly almost took the cake for me, I think, because it is very it's just an example. I think both these scenes, but also I love the the second one most of all. But both these scenes are like such great examples of just pure visual storytelling where you didn't really need any dialogue to understand what was going on, right? I think that that is a great example of really effective, simple visual storytelling. And I found the Hasaishi score working with it in the second one specifically, really good combo of, of the visuals of the sea sort of rising up. Cause I think it's right after the tsunami that it happens. And you see grandma Murray like moving through the water with all the colors and the gold light and all the new, sort of ancient fish that are like appearing that whatever, whatever period of time those fish were from that they like Delvonian period or whatever it was. And there's this sequence there that I think just really is um, moving, like oddly moving halfway through the film that I really, I really liked it a lot. Listen, we have talked today about Liam Neeson, Qui-Gon Jinn. We've talked about, uh, Arthur Curry's father, who of course is played by Tamara Morrison uh, of Django Fett fame. I just, I think what we're learning in these podcasts is that the the prequels are the North Star of all cinema, and we just keep coming back to them no matter what. Look, I, I have to get my my Phantom Menace. Uh, all right, edit out fifty three forty five. I knew that was coming, <laughs> and you know what? Uh, my favorite scene. Or moment is what we've already talked about, sort of the sequence towards the end where they're on the, the pop-up boat and they're like riding around and just encountering these random people. You know, they encounter the family with the baby and then they encounter like the soldiers or police, whoever they are. And uh, I just enjoyed like the sort of random, you know, side quests that they're going on in that portion of the movie. And like, you know, the, the soldiers like saying to these four-year-old kids like, all right, good luck, you know, as they're like that sailing off to go find the mom. That soldier the, is the worst parent in this movie. <laughs> like, it like salutes them too, it's so strange. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird and random, but that's kind of what I like about this movie. It's very weird and random at times. Um, 
And with that, I think we can put a score on Ponyo. Uh, Jay, what do you give this movie out of 10? This is a 7.3 for me. I think like still like, you know, very watchable. Um, you know, we don't, we don't really have to get into like comparing it to others. Like it's, you know, we found it less relatable and that's okay. Like still overall, like a good use of an hour and 40 minutes. Scott. 7.9. 7.6 for me. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, a fun time, you know, probably not going to rank highly for any of us when it's all said and done, but that's just because the standard is so high, as we've said many times before with these Miyazaki movies. So not, not a, uh, you know, not a critique on the movie, just like with our last series. Honestly, when's the last time we didn't like a movie, right? Like Wes Anderson, I enjoyed every movie, I think. I mean, maybe. I actively think Jay, maybe, didn't you know. like, actively yeah. didn't like a movie? I mean. Fight Club? <laughs> the game? Yeah. I feel well, like there was, a, there, was, there was definitely oh, yeah. a Bond movie that I actively didn't like. Oh, yes. Like, oh, I forgot. Just, there, yeah, there was yeah. There, there's quite a few Bond movies that I actively dislike. But um, anyway, yeah. uh, we've, we've picked good series. You tried. So, so Although, Spectre is what we came to. <laughs> I think. I mean, Spectre, yeah. Spectre's bad. But um, I think, uh, yeah, no, I, I think we've, we've done a good job with our last two series. But, you know, maybe we can uh, in, introduce some chaos next time. Uh, as sure. much as I enjoy that. Maybe we'll find a movie that Scott doesn't know four stars or above. You know, maybe it's hard. There's not many of them, but um, yeah. you'll you'll find some out there probably if you try hard. How about enough. we All do? Right. Um, I think I've got some ideas. How about a, uh, a DCE countdown, countdown for <laughs> Superman? For Superman, like <laughs> there we go. An Emerald um, Fennel countdown for uh, for Saltburn coming out. Um, one movie. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll watch The Crown too. Uh, I I watched uh, the new episode. Oh, sure. The, you want to watch the because she plays The Crown. Right. Yeah. Uh, last night. Are you caught? I haven't. No, I haven't. Uh, my I was with my girlfriend and she watches it and she was like, I'll just put this on. I was like, you know, it's history. Like, it's surely it's I, I can follow. I know the history. Uh, I mean, it's know, a, it, more importantly, it's Elizabeth Diana, Debicki. So. Going back yeah. to the question again in the movie. Are you a Lex guy? Are you a Lex guy? That goes back to the <laughs> beginning of the episode. <laughs> that, it's all come full circle. All right. Yeah. Uh, that should do it for this episode of uh, the Miyazaki Countdown. If you've enjoyed this podcast, and we hope you have, don't forget to support our Patreon page at patreon.com slash pods. Uh, or even if you can't support us over there, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back next time for our final review of the Miyazaki Countdown series. We'll be taking on Miyazaki's 2013 biopic, his first farewell film, uh, The Wind Rises. Until then, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.